we are a culture that is consumed by our appetites. What to eat, what not to eat, how to eat, how much to eat, eat more, eat less, eat more for less. From diet portions to jumbo sizes, our stomachs define so much of our lives. Now, there is a wannabe archaeologist inside me, not the Indiana Jones kind, but the real deal archaeologist. And it's amazing to me how much archaeologists can tell about a people from some ancient garbage, a few pottery shards, uh, from the remnants of ruined buildings and the fragments of mosaics. We, we learn about their beliefs and, and their religion and what they worshipped and how. And I can imagine some distant future archaeologists sifting through the, the detritus of our remains, and they would see a landscape filled with shrines to golden arches and pizza temples. I can see them excavating a landfill and finding millions of bits of cookie boxes, chip bags, soda cans, popsicle sticks, and cheeseburger wrappers. What would these archaeologists conclude about us? We live in a culture of, of indulgence and instant gratification. Desire for food in and of itself isn't a bad thing, but it has reached unprecedented levels not seen before in human history, at least across so wide a scale. Generations of people for thousands of years had to work all day, every day, just to have enough food to, to feed themselves and their families and, and to put a little aside for the winter. For us, basic sustenance is not the issue. Instead, it's too much. Too much food, too many calories, too much sugar, too much cholesterol. And our blessing of abundance has become our curse. We have more than we need or even can begin to use. But still, we want. Our desire is not satisfied and we have an appetite for more. And this affects everything we do. It influences what we think. It changes how we feel. It even transforms our physical health. There may be few messages that are more relevant and more timely to the 21st century uh, American culture than the biblical teaching about fasting. And yet there is no biblical teaching that sounds more foreign, more alien, and more out of touch than fasting. Fasting, it just sounds so ancient. It was something that was done by monastic hermits in the 8th century, not by a school teacher or a truck driver or, or a housewife in Marshfield in 2022. And let's be honest, fasting seems so, well, un-American. I mean, this is a have it your way, you want it, you got it culture. And you want to tell me that that we should go without, that I should, of my own free will, abstain because I want to? Please, you've got to be kidding me. But Jesus isn't kidding. 
we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and right in the middle of the sermon, Jesus is talking about the way that we practice our righteousness. He's talked about giving. He's talked about praying. And then in verses 16 through 18, here's what he says. When you fast, do not look like som look uh, somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. And I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. In other words, do what you normally do. Go through your normal routine. Don't make it look like you're suffering so so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, most of what Jesus says here about fasting um, is the same thing that he said about giving and praying earlier in chapter 6. We're not to be doing it for show, spiritual activity shouldn't be ostentatious, and God is the only audience that matters. All right, same thing here, and, and I don't think we need to cover that same material again, but I do think we need to look at this issue of fasting, because it is one of the, I think, least understood and least practices of all of the spiritual habits of a healthy relationship with God. And I confess, all right, me too, I'm guilty. Though fasting is considered a classic spiritual discipline, all right, something that, that all of the ancient masters talked about and wrote about and practiced, an essential spiritual practice. It's completely left out of, of several modern bestsellers on the spiritual disciplines. John Ortberg's uh, otherwise excellent book, The Life You've Always Wanted, doesn't mention fasting at all in its regimen of spiritual training. So what is fasting? Let's, let's define it. I think maybe we think we have an idea, but do we really know? Well, simply put, biblical fasting is the voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. It is to temporarily exchange spiritual food for a, or let me say that again. It is to temporarily exchange physical food for a spiritual feast. It is the ultimate expression of the hungering and thirsting for righteousness that Jesus talked about in the opening Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount. And we need to be careful not to confuse uh, biblical fasting with a couple of other practices that also involve not eating. Um, for example, fasting is not a hunger strike, even though those are sometimes, I think, mistakenly called fasts. Hunger strikes are designed to gain political leverage, social awareness, or popular support. They are very much aimed at an audience of people not an audience of just God, like Jesus talks about here. Um, but biblical fasting is, is aimed at the throne of God. 
Hunger strikes are designed to spark social change. Biblical fasting, though, is our response to a, a sacred moment, not a tool to get desired results. We also need to not confuse uh, spiritual fasting with health fasts that are in pursuit of whatever physical benefits we might be seeking. Some people fast uh, to detoxify or, or cleanse their system. Others think that fasting may trigger natural healing mechanisms. Now, health fasts may or may not have these sorts of benefits, but that's not biblical fasting. Now, I'm not saying that a Christian might never uh, do a hunger strike or a health fast, but that when they do, it's not biblical fasting it is something else. Christians fast as an expression of their relationship with their creator for spiritual reasons. Scott McKnight writes in his excellent little book, Fasting, he says, fasting is the body talking what the spirit yearns, what the soul longs for, and what the mind knows to be true. He writes, we worship God. We love God in our bodies and with our bodies and in concrete, physical, tangible, palpable ways. Deep in the yearning of humans is the need to do spirituality with the body. Now, typically, biblical fasting involved abstaining from all food and drink except for water for a period of time. And a fast could range, uh, in the Bible, we see anywhere from a single meal all the way to Jesus' miraculous fast of 40 days. Usually, they were anywhere from one to, to three days. In the face of an urgent crisis, fasting was sometimes total, including even water. Fasting was usually private and personal, but there were also corporate fasts, group fasts, or even national fasts, where, where the whole nation would fast together in pursuit of a single spiritual purpose. Now, beneath this kind of general idea of a fast, there, there are a couple of other kinds of fasts. We also see in Scripture what might be called a partial fast, where uh, you abstain from certain types of food or drink for spiritual reasons. The prophet Daniel once had a fast where he, quote, ate no choice food, no meat or wine, uh, no, or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over, Daniel 10, 3. Um, so there he was abstaining from just certain things. Now, you may choose to fast um, from any number of, of types of food or drink for spiritual reasons. Maybe it's coffee or soda, or you might pass on all desserts. Again, not for dietary reasons, but for spiritual purposes. Especially in our culture, food can, can become an idol, something that, that, that controls us, something that we obsess over, something that we can't function without, and that's spiritually not healthy. And so I've known people who've given up certain food items for a period of time just so that it doesn't control them. 
right? They couldn't say no. It had become an idol, and they, they felt it was beginning to interfere with their spiritual growth and their relationship with God. So a partial fast was necessary. The fact that Daniel also fasted from uh, lotion brings up another type of fast where someone abstains from some other physical pleasure uh, besides food for spiritual reasons. Another example of this is in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, where the Apostle Paul talks about married couples abstaining from sex in order to devote themselves to prayer. Now, some scholars think, well, this isn't fasting. It's just simply abstaining for spiritual purposes. But, but I think it fits the definition. And many believers have found it beneficial to fast from other indulgences uh, aside from food. I remember back when I was in Bible college, there was a, a guy that lived in the room next door to me. And he had decided to fast from all secular music for the school year. In fact, I, and I may be wrong here, I think he kind of fasted from all music outside of uh, worship and church. Um, he felt that, that music had become an obsession and that it was interfering with his spiritual growth. And so fasting from the music was a way of, of toppling the idol in his life. Uh, others might consider fast from from television, from social media, from, from Netflix. There are many types of fasts that, that could prove to be of great spiritual value depending on the person and what their need is. Though all fasts have some things in common, they do come in different shapes and sizes. But I do want you to notice that Jesus here in these couple of verses views fasting as essential especially if we consider the passages that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks. Think about this. Jesus talks about fasting in the same context as giving and praying. Right? He sees it in the same category. And Christians who would never consider not giving or not praying, unfortunately, never give fasting a second thought. But not only does Jesus include fasting in that same category, but he assumes it will be a part of our lives when you fast, not if you fast or if you choose to fast. So why is fasting important? Why is it essential? Well, the first and, and primary reason that we need to fast is to focus more fully on God, to focus more fully on God. Fasting trains us to to put aside earthly desires, the, those desires that usually consume so much of our attention so that we can focus more fully on God. In Zechariah, the, the Jews had a question for God. For 70 years, ever since the destruction of the temple, they had fasted twice a year to, to commemorate and mourn that tragic event. Well, now they had been restored to their land. They were rebuilding the temple, all right? Good news, all right? Happy times, blessings. And so they wondered, should they continue those two fasts? And in Zechariah 7, 5, God gives them this answer. He says, 
when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? God's asking them, was it for me that you fasted or were you just doing this for you? Fasting is to center us on God, to focus on him. It's all about him. Here in Matthew 6, Jesus portrays fasting as more than just a private practice. It may not involve other people, but it does include God. He is our audience. He sees it and rewards it. Through fasting, God is inviting you into a more intimate relationship with him. Scott McKnight writes, quote, fasting enables, enables us to identify with how God views a given event. Fasting empowers us to empathize with God. Now, earlier in the Beatitudes, Jesus blessed those who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, fasting gives physical expression to that, that heart hunger, the longing of every human soul to connect with their creator. John Piper says in his book, A Hunger for God, that Christian fasting is at its root a homesickness for God. But when we allow our physical hunger, our physical desire for food, or, or any other physical desire for that matter, to control and consume us, it becomes an idol. It begins to take God's place on the throne of our hearts. And when something other than God is in control, we're not as close to him. We can't grow as well spiritually. And it becomes a spot in our lives where, where Satan can begin to wedge his way in. Well, fasting is a, a way to stop the problem at its source, to cut it off at the root, to put God back on the throne, and to focus more fully on him. Now, that's the primary purpose of fasting. Now, because fasting helps, helps us focus more fully on God, it also leads to some other benefits as well. And one of those benefits is that fasting loosens the grip of desire on our lives. It reminds us that there's more to life than our physical appetites. When Satan tempted Jesus in the desert in Matthew 4 uh, to turn stones into bread, Jesus rebuked him with an Old Testament scripture, quote, Man does not live by bread alone. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with bread. Jesus isn't saying bread is bad, especially those honey butter croissants at Cheddar's. Mmm, delicious. All right, there's nothing wrong with physical desire. God created us with those needs and, and with those appetites. He wants us to enjoy those things. Nothing wrong with wanting and enjoying certain foods. Um, God created us with those desires, and God wants us to enjoy them each with their in their proper place with thanksgiving. 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. But even good things can begin to compete with our devotion and affection for God, and when they do, those good things can become a source of evil in our lives. And the problem is, is that it is so easy for our physical desire 
and our spiritual desire to become out of balance. Richard Foster writes in his classic, uh, The Celebration of Discipline, quote, fasting helps us keep balance in our life. How easily we begin to allow non-essentials to take precedence in our lives. How quickly we crave the things we do not need until we are enslaved by them. Our human craving and desires are like a river that tends to overflow its banks. Fasting helps us keep them in their proper channel. Now, while fasting loosens the grip of physical desires on our lives, at the same time, it teaches us to be more dependent on God. We can't provide everything we need in life. We can't supply for ourselves everything that we need to live life to its fullest. This is the essence of the of the second part of Jesus' rebuke to Satan. When, when Satan says, hey, if you're the son of God, you can turn these stones into bread. And, and so the first part of that rebuke was man does not live by bread alone. But then Jesus goes on to say, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So fasting isn't just about saying no to our earthly desires, but it's about saying yes to God. And as we free ourselves from the grip of our earthly appetites, we simultaneously whet our appetite for God. In A Hunger for God, John Piper describes it well. Half of Christian fasting is that our physical appetite is lost because our homesickness for God is so intense. Right? We desire God so much that we forget that we're hungry for lunch. But the other half is that our homesickness for God is, is threatened because our physical appetites are so intense. So in the first half, appetite is lost. In the second half, appetite is resisted. In the first, we yield to the higher hunger that is. In the second, we fight for the higher hunger that, that isn't. Now, in Scripture, we see people fasting to become more dependent on God um, for a variety of reasons. One is that they fast to seek God's guidance in a specific situation. If you're lost and confused, you should try fasting. They fast to, to pour out their grief to God, to, to express their mourning and to find divine comfort. If you're grieving and overwhelmed in sorrow, try fasting. It's funny in our culture that when somebody dies and a family is grieving, what do we do? What is our response? Right? We drown them in food. And I get it. All right? Food brings comfort, and giving them food uh, frees that family from the additional stress of having to, to shop for food and to prepare for meals. But we've also forgotten an essential truth. Right? We can't eat our eat away our sorrow. Right? At some point in this process, it would be a good idea to express our grief through fasting. In the Bible, we also see people fasting to seek God's deliverance or his protection from a, a particular crisis or threat. 
right? Do you have a difficult decision confronting you? Is there some looming emergency? Are you overwhelmed by a catastrophe? Is some disaster befallen your life? Fasting is a part of the answer. And other times people fasted to show their repentance over sin and their desire to return to God. Have you blown it? Have you screwed up royally? Have you stepped in doo-doo over your head? You need to fast. Now, in all of these things, fasting expresses a, a humble dependence on God. Now, there are other valuable reasons to fast, but I, I want to leave you in this message with, with one other benefit we get from fasting. And it is this. Fasting allows us to devote ourselves more fully to spiritual growth. How often have you said things like, if only I had more time for prayer, or I know I need to be spending more time in God's Word, but I'm just so busy. Or I would like to have time to, to volunteer and be involved in a ministry. Well, my schedule is so crammed, and when I finally do get a free moment, I'm just, I'm so pooped. I, I just want to take a break, right? Well, there's an answer for that. There's an answer for these and, and many similar problems, and that's fasting. All right, calculate how much time you spend eating and preparing meals in a day, or watching television, or uh, watching Netflix, or Blowing time on the internet, watching cat videos or TikToks, whatever the physical indulgence might be. Now, let's say that you decide for a day to fast from that one thing. How much time becomes available for a spiritual activity? Let's say you decide to fast from one meal a week, and that saves you just 30 minutes. And then you decide to spend those 30 minutes pursuing some spiritual purpose. In a year's time, that equals 26 extra hours given to spiritual growth, to ministry, to something, right? You can do a lot in 26 hours and imagine what God can do with your 26 hours. If you fast from both, say, lunch and dinner, that's an hour, right? You, you double the power of that time. And in a rushed and busy life, people are always complaining that they, they lack the time for more spiritual pursuits. Well, the one thing that fasting most definitely gives you is time. Time that you can devote to those things that you say you have a hard time squeezing into your jam-packed schedule. Fasting is to make godly things, heavenly things, spiritual things a priority. And it is to give God a place above the physical pursuits that so often consume us. Fasting was something that was practiced by the likes of, of Moses, of Ezra, of Nehemiah, of David, Elijah, Daniel, Queen Esther, Anna, the Apostle Paul. Jesus. And what proved to be so valuable and fulfilling in their lives 
is so neglected in our day. I think sometimes we fear fasting. We see it as of having to go without. We see it as depriving ourselves. However, when we more fully understand fasting, I, I think we'll see it not so much as going without, but as an invitation to more, to get more of God, to see more, to hear more, to understand more of him. And in setting aside these physical desires, the demands, the distractions of this life, we're able to draw closer to God. And that in that intimacy with him, we can focus more fully on him. We can loosen the grip of desire on our lives, become more dependent on him, and are able to devote ourselves more fully to spiritual pursuits. So I challenge you, accept this invitation to more. Thank you, and God bless.